Good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Vine Community Church. Uh, we're very excited to have each and every one of you here with us today, and welcome to those who are watching online today as well. Right, I'd like to invite everybody to stand. We'll have a word of prayer and then get started with the worship. Lord, I want to thank you for bringing us all together here today safely. I want to thank you for everything that you've done in our lives throughout the week and everything we know you'll continue to do. We just ask that you come be in our midst today as we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.
everybody take a second and turn around and say hello to somebody. and welcome. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. Help us give Christmas to needy families this year. Pick up a list of suggestions or just buy a gift or two. Bring them back, unwrapped, and we will give them out to people at our help center. You can bring wrapping paper also so they can wrap their gifts. Thanks for helping. We will be wrapping gifts for Anthony Wayne School on Monday, November 27th at 4 p.m. Come help us serve our schools. Thanks for watching the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here and enjoy the service. How are you? You good? We're going to do confession. You ever been to confession? You know, it's been so long since confession. How many over ate Thanksgiving? How many didn't? You guys are the holy ones. God bless you. So anyway, all right. We're doing Thanksgiving tonight. So anyway, it'll be good. Um, tomorrow night, we're doing the wrapping thing. You saw that at Anthony Wayne. Anthony Wayne is one of the schools in town, and we always do all kinds of things there. And so they have like a Santa's shop or something like that, and we go and wrap the presents for them. So it says 4 o'clock, but you can come after 4 o'clock, and it's on some street in Franklin. Figure that out, right? Everybody has a magic box, right? Park Avenue? Okay. Farm Avenue. Farm Avenue. And then uh, the Christmas deal is we uh, turn this place into a store, only we don't sell anything ever. But if you want to help with Christmas, you go buy a Christmas gift, bring it back unwrapped, and put it in that room, and then... Um, before Christmas, we have a big shop, and we pick, I think we have 126 kids already picked from the free store. And so the parents will come and get the stuff, and the kids never know it's from us. Okay? Okay? So if you're a guest, thanks for coming. I'm Chuck. They let me talk here sometimes. So let's say a prayer, and we'll take up the offering. So, Lord, just thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you that you've blessed us, and we ask you just to use these gifts to glorify your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. the 
on. There? Hello? You guys doing all right? Yeah? All right. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have one, it's all good. We'll have one on the screen. And, yeah. So, today we're going to be finishing up our series on what if Jesus was serious. And um, next week we begin to move into the Advent season. So, you guys doing all right? Any Michigan fans? Psychopaths. And then, of course, we have our resident Michigan folks here. Ohio State guys, you all right out there? No? Doing all right? Yeah. A little rough, rough 24 hours. So, yeah. Um, if you're a guest, my name is Mark, and like Dad said, they let me talk here from time to time. And so I always like to start off with just taking a few moments to, to kind of like center ourselves down and, and open ourselves up to God. I always like to start off with a little time of, of silence. And and if you're like me, you, I don't know, you guys got problems? Anybody have problems? If, you, if you're like me, you have problems, other than the Wolverines. If you're like me, you have stuff. You got stuff that you struggle with. You have stresses. You have worries, anxieties. Um, and it can get in the way. It can get in the way of us connecting with God. It can get in the way of a lot of things. And one of the practices that I've, um, I don't know, have done for a while is just learning how to, to, to set in the presence of God. Because the reality is God is with us all the time, everywhere. And we forget. And we need to be reminded. And so for me, uh, a practice that I do a lot is just learning how to just be still and, and in some sense rest in God. And so I always like to take a few moments simply at the very beginning of, of every service just to practice that. And so if you, if you would, just make yourself comfortable. If you fall asleep, that's okay. I get it. Maybe you stayed up too late. And if you need to sleep, take a nap, take a nap. So let's take a few moments simply just to open ourselves up to God and, and just rest in him. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come, that you just meet us here in this moment.
So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come and gather and worship, reflect on you. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come, that you just open our hearts and minds to, to these words, these, these texts that we reflect on. We ask that you just be with us, that you bless us, you guide us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. This is Jesus at the very end of his Sermon on the Mount. He says this. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard these these, these verses and you immediately think of a song. Anybody grow up in this kind of a place? Yeah, you guys remember this song? You guys want to sing it? Who said, yeah, of course, you want to lead us? I don't think I'm going to sing it, but the words go, and there's motions, right? So you guys remember this? The, the wise man built his house upon and the rock, right? So you got, you got to do it. Come on now, right? And the rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down, the floods came up, the rains came down. I can see some of you who didn't grow up in church, you're like, what in the world's going on right now? <laughs> but the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man, he built his house on the sand. And rains came down, the waters came up, and the house on the sand went. Right. You guys did a pretty good job. Not bad. Not bad. Now, what's interesting about this growing up as a kid, you just kind of think, okay, well, who's the rock? And your Sunday school teacher, if you had one like mine, taught you that Jesus is the rock and that we have to build our lives on Jesus, right? You guys remember this? What's interesting about this is that's not exactly what Jesus says. What Jesus says is it's not him but it's his, his teachings. Now, so notice this, this picture here. Within this book that we've been, we've been studying, the kind of turned into a sermon series, he, he does this illustration of a house, and then on the left there is the wise man. And the house, there's this level of sand and then soil, and yet the wise man, he was smart enough to know that he built his house on the rock, which raises the question, what does the rock represent? And so you have a list of, of answers, multiple choice, if you will. And answer B is Christian theology. Well, we need to build our house on this foundation of Christian theology, which is very appealing, but that's not the right answer. That's the intellectual answer. And then you have choice B, the church. We need to build this house on the church, which is this institutional answer. And then, of course, we're like, well, wait a minute. If it's not Christian theology, it's not the church. Well, then it must be Jesus. We need to build our house on Jesus. And, of course, that's the Sunday school answer. But that's not what Jesus says. What Jesus says 
is what the wise man does is he builds his house on the obedience of Jesus' commands. Jesus says this. He says, the wise man is the person who hears these words of mine, this whole sermon that he's been through, learning how to love, learning how to forgive, learning how to trust God, learning how not to worry about the things that we don't have control of, that the people who do these things, hear these words, and put them into practice, that is the wise man. And that is the rock that we learn to build our lives on. Not simply just saying a prayer so that we can go to heaven when we die and trusting God with our afterlife, but learning how to trust Jesus with our today life and learning how to do these things every day, that it's the foundation of our life. Good? Makes sense? You guys bored? Not not yet? Sort of? Some of you are like, eh. And so it's learning how to build our life on this rock, which leads to this. If Jesus was serious then, then a wise person may not be easy to identify. Because we're used in our culture to making judgments on the external of people's lives. Does that make sense? So I live in an old house. It was built in 1910 or something like that. It's old. It's And on the outside, it looks like the good house. But on the inside... Eh, it's a little sketchy. We don't have a real basement. We have a pit. And if you go down into the pit, you notice that the foundation of the original part of the house is nothing but river rocks. So we live probably about, I don't even, like a quarter of a mile from the, the Miami River. So in my my mind, I don't know how they built this house, but my guess is they probably had a cart. And they just went down to the river and picked out big rocks and then came back and just kind of stacked them up. And I'm sure it was a great foundation at the time, but compared to, like, normal houses, it's a little sketchy, right? Does that make sense? What's the point? The point is this. You can't make a judgment on the external of people's lives because we live in a world of faking each other out. I want you to think, you know, it's not dependent. A person's wisdom and their success is all externally based. We look at a person's house. We look at the neighborhood they live in, and we think, oh, they must have it all together. We look at the car that they drive, and we think, ah, they must be doing something right. They must be. They must know what they're doing. And reality is this, like regardless of what neighborhood you live in, no matter how much money that you make, no matter what kind of car that you drive, no matter the success that you may have in your life, if we opened the door and went to the basement, how's it really going on in there, right? Because I know tons of people that externally look successful, and yet their lives are falling apart. And perhaps you know people like this as well. They, they From the outside in, man, they look like they got it going on, right? But they don't. Think, take Facebook, for example. Right, you guys... You guys do that? Well, good for you if you don't. But if you do, if you're like me, you get sucked into that trap. Everybody has the best life, right? The best pictures, the best food, the best vacations. There's always a random person that you know that's putting it all out there. 
And they're, they're interesting as well. But for the most part, we live in this facade. We want, we want to trick everybody into thinking that we're living our best lives. And the reality is, if you're like me, eh, it's a little sketchy, right? And so Jesus points out to us that it's not the outside that matters, but it's the foundation, which leads to this next idea. What's unseen is actually what defines everything. Uh, when we first moved into the house that we live in, there's we have these two big trees that were on either side of our house. And a friend of mine came by one day, and he has like a tree trimming service. And he said, Mark, that tree right there is dead. He goes, you probably need to trim it. And I was like, well, how much is that going to cost? And that's, a, that's a whole other story. But from the outside, this tree looked fine to me. And I thought he was crazy, like, eh. He's just trying to hustle me so I can get him to trim my trees. And I was like, that tree's fine. Well, he was right. Within a couple of years of living there, branches started falling on our roof, and and it got really sketchy. And I began to realize, well, he was right about this. This tree's dead. And you can't tell from the outside at first unless you know what you're looking for. But the way that a tree dies is that its root system begins to go bad, right? Because regardless of what we see on the outside, it's what's underneath that matters. And so you have this this illustration here that it's not the visible things that define us, but it's the invisible things. It's the unseen things that can help make or break us. And so in this example here, you have this root system of this tree. It's the root system that actually keeps the tree Growing. You have this picture of a, is it a swan? Is that what that is? I guess. Goose, swan, duck. And it looks like it's just floating effortlessly from the top of the water. But you know, and I know, that underneath the water it's kicking its legs. And then you have an illustration of this house. And then within this book he uh, tells a story about a TV show called Down, Downton Abbey? Downtown Abbey? How do you say it? Downton, you can always tell the ones in the crowd who watch this show because they get really insulted when I say downtown Abbey. (laughs) Becky, I'm not talking about you right now. (laughs) I've never really watched this show, but he explains within this book that on on the surface level, there are this, this rich English family, and they look like they have it all together, and they look like they have it going on, but in reality, it is all of the servants and workers underneath the house who keep everything going. And then, of course, you have the unseen patterns of obedience in our lives. Jesus is interesting about this kind of stuff. He has a conversation with his religious leaders at one point, and he insults them. He says, listen, you guys, you you make it look good from the outside, but... Eh, I don't know. And he says, you guys are like tombs. You're like whitewashed tombs. Looks really nice and fancy from the outside, but on the inside, it's just full of dead men's bones, which is like a pretty good jab to take at these religious leaders. And so if Jesus was serious, then it's our unseen disciplines that would make our faith strong. 
Does that make sense? So it's not coming here. Coming here is important. Don't get me wrong. Coming here is a start. You know, if your life is is a mess and you're here today because things just are out of control, coming here is a great start. Don't get me wrong. It's good to be with people that are like-minded. It's good to be people that are moving in the same direction. It's good to be able to lean on the faith of other people when you don't have your own. But it won't sustain you. If you ate one meal a week, you'd probably be pretty hungry, right? And so it's learning to have those everyday disciplines, those everyday practices of prayer, scripture reflection, of worship, of loving and serving the people around you, your family included. Actually, they're probably the most important, right? It's easy to love people you don't know. It's a whole other story to try to love the people that get on your nerves, right? And so it's learning how to have those everyday disciplines that build a strong foundation for the house of our lives. Does that make sense? Yeah? And and so Jesus begins the end of the sermon by explaining to us that it's not just hearing these words and feeling inspired or whatever, but it's about putting these everything, everyday things into everyday practices, learning to trust, learning to forgive, learning not to worry, learning to love, learning to sacrifice. It's learning how to do these things intentionally so that they come out naturally later. Good? You guys bored? No? Yeah, it's hard to tell. And so he continues. He then says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things... And this is Matthew recording this for us. It says that the, the crowds were, and what's it say there? Amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had, and what's it say? Not as their teachers of the law. Now, to give some context to this. In the first century in the Jewish religion, there were essentially two rabbis that were the authorities of understanding and interpreting the scriptures. A man named Hillel and another man named Shemaiah, I believe is how you pronounce it. And so when a preacher would get up or a a rabbi would get up to speak and share a, a word about God, they would usually reference one of those two because they came from those schools, right? So it'd be like, hey, I went to Miami or I went to Harvard or whatever. You had your credentials, What's interesting about Jesus is he's very familiar with the teachings of both because there are many of times that he references both of them. You don't know he's referencing them, but he's make, he's either agreeing with or disagreeing with the way that they understand the law. But at the same time, he seems to be putting a new twist on things that he doesn't, he's not coming from one of these schools. It's as if he has his own interpretation, his own Authority. And, and so, they're amazed by this. They're amazed by the way that he reads the Old Testament and then builds a bridge into their life in that moment. They're amazed by the way that he understands and interprets and teaches from their holy scriptures. Now, if you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with a man named C.S. Lewis. He wrote the, the books, the Narnia books, and a number of other books. And in his uh, in his book called Mere Christianity, I think that's what it's called, 
Is that right? He makes this argument that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. And that if he's a liar, then he's the worst of liars of all time. But it's hard to think that he'd be a liar the way that he teaches how people how to live. Teaching people how to forgive. He doesn't seem, Jesus doesn't seem to have any selfish uh, teachings. And so it would make no sense for him to be a liar. He makes the argument, well, Jesus, he, maybe Jesus is just bonkers crazy. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe he just lost his mind. He thinks he's God's son. And he's just nut. He's a nut job. Which, you know, whatever. But if you look at the way that Jesus lives, he doesn't seem to have the patterns of a person who's lost their mind. Right? Because normally those types of charismatic people, they lead them so long, and then it's like, hey, let's drink this Kool-Aid and all die. Right? So he doesn't do that. In fact, he just is willingly sacrifices himself. So he doesn't seem to be crazy either. He seems to be very convicted about what he believes, but he doesn't seem to be crazy. And so Lewis lands on this reality, at least in his way of thinking, is that if he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic, then maybe he's actually who he says he is. Maybe he is the Lord. And in this book, this the author makes this illustration that is very similar and essentially a repackaging of, of Lewis's argument that that Jesus is either does have God's divine authority or he doesn't. And if he does have God's authority, well, then, then he's probably the Christ. But if he doesn't, and he knows that he doesn't, then he's he is a liar. He's a criminal. And if he doesn't, but he thinks that he does, then, well, then he's crazy. And here's what I would say. To get to the place where you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that takes faith. Does that make sense? Maybe he is crazy. I don't, I don't seem to think he's crazy. But I can understand if you do, and that's fine. Because doing this Christian thing requires that you trust, that you take a step of faith and say, I don't know, but this just makes sense to me. Does that make sense to you guys? And so if Jesus was serious, then he's either crazy or he's the Christ. And that's all for us to decide on our own. And that, like I said, requires that just that step of, ah, I think I'm going to go with this. I think I'm going to trust it. I think I'm going to try to live this thing out. And my experience has been that the more I try to follow Jesus, the more I'm convinced that he's the Christ. Yeah? Which leads to another thought about Jesus. Not only were these people amazed by the way that he interpreted and understood the law, but there was something else going on with him. Because if you know the stories of the Gospels, he is, people are drawn to him. People who are outcasts, who are, have been pushed to the, to the sides of society, are drawn to him. I think of the story of the woman who had been, she, it says that she had been bleeding for, for years. 
And she hears about this Jesus and something in her says, if I can just get close, if I could just work through this crowd and just get close, and maybe if I just touch him, something will change me. And the story goes that she she fights through this crowd and she touches Jesus' his clothing, and she's healed instantly. And that even there's this moment where he realizes that this power that indwells in him, whatever that means, it transfers into her and she's healed. There was something about this Jesus that drawed people to him. There was like this gravity, if you will. And you, perhaps you could call it a soul gravity. That as we draw closer in, in communion with God, something happens to us. And I don't know about you, but for me, I've met people like this. I've met people that have this, this gravitas, this gravity about them that draws me to them. I want their, I want to understand what they know. I want it to be around them. I trust them with things. And I'll give you an example. There was a couple who used to come to church here named Mike and Nancy Allen, and they worked down at our free store for years. And uh, and Mike was that way. Mike had this something about him that you'd like. I, you just wanted to be around him, and you wanted to pick his brain, and you wanted to just be in his presence because there was a grace about him that you just I I didn't experience with other people, and I. Uh, Got to know his father. What was his father's name? Do you remember? What was it? Yeah, Art. And Art was the same way. He had this something about him. And when I got to know Art, he, I mean, he was, Mike and Nancy are old, so I don't even know how old he was. He was old. Huh? Yeah, he was almost 100, so that's pretty old. Art would get up early in the morning and he would read his Bible every day. And whatever would stick out to him from the scriptures, he would take out a piece of paper and he would write down that scripture for the day and he would put it in his pocket. And we would be at the free store doing things and, and I would always notice, and he wasn't, he, like, he didn't tell, tell people he did this. He wasn't bragging. But I would notice that Art would be We'd be bagging groceries or doing whatever we were doing, and then I would look over at him, and he would be in the corner, and he'd pull something out of his pocket, and he'd be looking at it, and he would meditate on it all day. He would be thinking about, and in that in that meditative prayer state, reflecting on whatever it was that he had read through the scriptures that morning, and I started to realize what this means here. What I've noticed is that people that who are t- intentional about spending time with God, something happens in that time of devotion. It's almost as if God rubs off on them, right? And then they go about their day. And then you and I, just regular people, we have that God antenna. And all of a sudden we're like, whoop! And we notice it about this person. And we're drawn to them. And it's not that we're actually drawn to them. We're drawn to them because they're drawn to God. And as they spend time with God, 
it rubs off on them and then we're drawn to that. Does that make sense? And so not only did Jesus have this authority, this understanding of, of interpreting the scriptures and understanding in a way that they have heard before, but this is the Son of God. Every morning Jesus would get up and he would go to a quiet place and he would spend time with his Father. By the way, if it's important for Jesus to do that, it might be important for us to do that as well, right? And so Jesus would spend time with his Father. And in that, that time in God's presence, well, he carries that around everywhere he goes. And you and I, the, t- the times that we spend in God's presence, well, then we're going to carry that with us wherever we go. And that's a grace for us, but not only is it a grace for us, but it's a grace for other people in our lives. Because if you're like me, you probably have, not only do you have your own problems, but you probably have friends who have problems. Anybody have friends who have problems? No? All right. Good for you guys. Maybe it's just because I'm a pastor. You guys all tell me your problems. (laughs) Not only when we spend time with God is it for us. But it's not simply just for us, but it's also for other people. Dad has a classic story about um, a, a friend of ours' son had passed away, and uh, Dad had got up that morning and done his, done his soap, which is his devotional, reading the Bible and writing it out, journaling it. And uh, there was a passage in it about the God God knows. Is that right? Something like that. And it didn't mean anything probably to you at the time in that morning. Like, well, it's just another verse to read. But then when we got the news that this lady's son had died, that scripture wasn't for dad. That scripture was for her. But because he had the the discipline to spend time with God, he was able to transfer it to her. Does that make sense? So it's learning how to spend that time with God, not simply as a grace for ourselves, which is great, but also to be able to share it with other people. And so, if Jesus was serious, then we should be drawn towards substance more than just style. Right? And this is, this is important for us to understand in the culture that we live in because we live in an entertainment-based culture. Right? Like, my kids and my daughter in particular, she's constantly seeing all these advertisements and all these things that she needs to fulfill her life. So right now it's Uggs. It's a joke. I guess they're like ugly shoes. I don't even know. If you have Uggs on, I'm sorry. But we're so drawn to style. We're so, we're so drawn to these things that we believe are going to fulfill us and make us happy. And here's the thing is sometimes as Christians, we can get in this game. And so you can have, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to bash other churches, but sometimes even churches can get into this game where it's entertainment based, if you will. Where the, the band is like tight and there's lights and there's smoke and the pastor's super charismatic and, and like you go there and it's like, wow, that was an experience. And it's fine, I get it, but is it gonna sustain you for the rest of the week? And, like, I feel sorry for you guys because our band's good, but you got to listen to me and the 30-year-old, you know, 30 years down the road me, which is over there. And uh, and that's just not our game. God bless people that that's fine, and I, I know it touches people and good. Like, 
I'm not against anybody, any other ministries, but the reality, like, for us, we're just trying to figure this out, right? Does that make sense? We're just trying to, to listen to Jesus and love Jesus and love the people that Jesus loves, and that's mainly it. And who, well, who do Jesus love? Everybody. So that's, that's our game. And we're not trying to put on a show and, yeah. So it's learning how to be drawn to substance more than style. Which leads to, I think, one last thought. As we reflect on this sermon, not my sermon, Jesus' sermon on the mount. As we reflect on the things that Jesus calls us to do. It comes, at least for me, it comes to this conclusion that not only is Jesus the Christ, the Lord, the one who redeems us, the one who saves us, but he's, he's probably the smartest person that ever lived. And I remember the first time I came across this idea. I was reading a book called The Divine Conspiracy by a man named Dallas Willard, and he makes the argument that not only was Jesus the Christ and the Messiah and the Lord and the, you know, the one that we worship. But, like, we probably ought to take him seriously because he's smarter than we are. He's wiser than us. And for a long time in my life, I didn't think that was true. I thought it was good, but I wasn't convinced that Jesus knew how to live my life better than I knew how to live my life. Does that make sense? If you've raised teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about here, right? Like my daughter right now, she's 14 and she's insane. And God love her, her arguments are my arguments. We'll talk about how do we deal with conflict. Should we fight this person or not? Should we call them to roll up? Like, no, we're not calling anybody to roll up. And I tried to explain to her, like, hey, this isn't, this isn't the way that we want to live. She goes, well, this is the way that I live. Or I'll say, this isn't the way that Jesus wants us to live. She goes, well, this is the way that I want to live. And I get it. Because I was exactly like that at one point in my life, right? Because when you grow up as a preacher's kid, you think to yourself, well, that works great in church land. And, you know, I grew up, mom and dad, in church land. Like, it's great in church land, but that's not going to work in the halls of Franklin High School. That doesn't work in the Marines. That doesn't work at the factory. And I remember when I finally came to this place, I, a situation had happened with my, my uncle, and I was very upset about it, and I wanted revenge. And um, I was very mad, very, very, very angry. And I remember sitting at my mom and dad's kitchen table, and my mom tried to talk me out of going and killing him. And she says, Mark, you have to forgive. It's the only way. And I remember thinking, well, that's good for you, but that's not how I do it, right? And for whatever reason, I thought to myself, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And so I I thought, Mom's never tried to 
you know, take me in the wrong direction before. So maybe she, there's something to this. And so I said, yes, I'm going to forgive my uncle for this. And so I opened that door of forgiveness. And as I opened that door of, of extending this forgiveness to this man who hurt me and harmed our situation, it's as if I walked into a brand new world. It's like, oh, wow. There's another way to be. And that would be, I would argue, is what Jesus is talking about when he says well, that we enter into the kingdom. That the kingdom isn't just going to heaven when we die, but the kingdom is something that we can experience here now today. And that as we take Jesus' words seriously, and as we do the things that he called us to do and put them into practice, we become that wise person who's built our house on a rock. We open the door of the kingdom, and then we step into this whole new reality that we didn't know existed. And over the years of, of learning how to forgive and learning how to love and learning how not to be selfish and want my own way, but learning how to sacrifice for the people in my life that I love and learning how to give mercy and all these types of things, I began to discover the wisdom of Jesus. That not only can I trust him with my afterlife, but I can actually trust him with my today life. And it's learning how to take him seriously. Yeah? Good? You guys done? You did a good job. I'm proud of you. Two questions. Two questions. What's God saying to you? In what ways do you need to take Jesus seriously? In what ways do you need to trust him with your today? What's, what's God saying to you? And what's one thing that you can do about it today? And so we're going to take a few moments simply to reflect on this. We'll play a little bit of music and stuff. And, and then we're going to share in communion together. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come, that you just speak to our hearts in these next few moments. Right, amen. If you have one of these, you can grab it and take it out. Every week we take part.
We participate in this, this ritual, this reminder that we are welcomed at Jesus' table. And for me, communion is this, this thing that it transcends space and time. Dad, I think Dad talked about it last week that some sort of way that when we take part in this every week that we, we are with Jesus. We are with Jesus when He first did it. We are with Jesus now in this moment and one day we'll be with Jesus in the kingdom to take part. And for us here at this church, we, we practice what's called an open table. Mainly that if you're willing to take part, then you're welcome to take part. And our reason for that is simply this, that at Jesus' table, you had one person there who denied him, and yet he was welcome. You had another person there who betrayed him, and yet he was welcome. And all the rest of the knuckleheads, they all deserted him, and yet they were all welcome. He didn't send them away. And so for us, we believe that everyone is welcome at Jesus' table. And so if you're willing to take part, then you're welcome to take part. And every week we pray the Lord's Prayer of a way of centering our hearts and our minds. And sometimes cell phones go off, but it's okay. No big deal. Oh, it's even worse. You all right? Good? That's amazing, actually, those things. All right, you guys ready to pray? Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He said, This is the blood of the new covenant that's been shed for you, this new relationship in my blood. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul said that every time that you and I, we gather and we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns, which means we remember what Jesus did, that he was broken and poured out for the sake of the world. And we're reminded that as the body of Christ, every day we are called to do the same, to be broken and poured out for the people in our lives. And so take the bread and look to the person next to you and say, the body of Christ broken for you. Now the cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. All right, amen. So I'll stand. You can grab hands with the person next to you if you like. If you want to help out with uh, wrapping... Gifts and stuff. Come to Anthony Wayne tomorrow at four or whenever you want. And uh, the Bengals play.
Pittsburgh. All right, so it's Redemption Sunday for all us Ohio State fans, I guess, right? That was a bad, that joke didn't land. I thought it was going to land. It didn't land. All right, so let's pray. We'll get out of here. So, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this Jesus that not only shows us what you were like, but shows us how to live. And so may we have the, the grace, the courage, the love to live this out. So we ask that you just be with us this week as we go, as we try to, to love the people in our lives. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you just guide us and keep us on the way. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. See you guys.